welcome to the Destinate NZ Show. I'm Michelle Caldwell, the host of the show, and today we're talking community and content. Welcome back, listeners, and I'm going to assume that some of you are actually listening in from Nelson this week, and I say that because we're all down here for the Tourism Export Council Conference, and I've just finished my first session of the biz to biz sessions where we all get to sit with every single inbound operator for eight minutes and talk about the products we're representing and i have to say there was an awesome buzz in the room today when we all got together last year at conference we still didn't really have much clarity on when borders might open we were still hoping that it might have been late in the summer last year but of course we all know that didn't happen but this year we know we've got certainty we know the people are coming and they are coming because the inbound operators are busy. And I think I said this last week, but talking to 33 of them this morning just confirmed that the interest is there, the demand is strong, but hey, we just have to wait a little bit longer. So there's a few people floating around the country at the moment, but it seems that most of them aren't going to be starting to arrive until our usual summer season so October onwards so if you're out there wondering what's happening in the world of international tourism don't worry about it they are coming you've just got to hold on that little bit longer and I know for some of us that seems like a long way away but it isn't the demand is there so just get your rates into the inbound operators make sure you've got those relationships strong and yeah you'll be able to start welcoming back those international tourists as soon as possible. Well, today's episode, we have another very special guest joining us. We have Sarah Chant, who is the community manager, if you like, and founder of New Zealand Travel Tips, which is one of the largest travel community groups on Facebook. And I don't know, a lot of you might have seen the growth of this over COVID. It did start before COVID. I I thought it might have been a COVID startup, but it was actually, Sarah tells us it was before COVID, but obviously it really took off with the domestics looking for just little different points of interest along the way of what they could do in the two years that we've been closed and of course now we've got all these internationals starting to join in asking where they should go so really interesting to have a chat to Sarah around what that community was like to build and some of the challenges she's had in building that community but also we get on to content and why Building content and having a strong, solid content plan for your business is absolutely critical at this point in time. So we talk about blogging, we talk about influencers, there's a whole lot of stuff packed into this half hour episode. So please stick with us, enjoy the show and don't forget to leave that five star review. We obviously really appreciate that and we'll be back next week. Kakite. Today we're joined by someone who has had incredible success building a very active and engaged community on Facebook while the borders have been closed. We welcome Sarah Chant from New Zealand Travel Tips. Kia ora Sarah and welcome to the show. Kia ora Michelle, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here and obviously been watching your Facebook group and the different communities that you run and a lot of our listeners will be very keen to hear how that came about. Also really keen to chat to you today about the importance of building communities and content creation as some of the tools that we can all use in our marketing mix. But 
before we kick off, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background in tourism and how you basically ended up managing this massive community? Yeah, absolutely. So I started in tourism when I was 19. I used to work in reservations for Air New Zealand and was bitten by the bug then and there. Moved though into teaching. I had studied education and was quite keen to give that career a go. But on and off have had tourism jobs as a side hustle. So I spent some time working as a tour guide part-time and then started my first travel blog coming up eight years ago now learned a lot through my first blog exploring kiwis and took a lot of that learning into my newer websites both exploring auckland and new zealand travel tips those two are built off of facebook groups as you mentioned Mm. so we've got new zealand travel tips and exploring auckland on facebook really really active communities and although i love them both i must admit new zealand travel tips has my heart it's a really special space Yeah, so how did that come about? My understanding is that sort of fired up through COVID, is that right? Yeah, a little bit of a misconception. So we did actually start, it was the 31st of December, so just before COVID hit, and we were over in Japan, we were having an amazing holiday, my hubby and I, and we'd made really good use of Japan Travel Planning Group on Facebook. And we were sitting in our hotel room and I remember saying to my hubby, I think we need to start a New Zealand one, because at that point in time, there really wasn't a group that was run by Kiwis. There were a few Mm. international people who were running New Zealand groups, Mm -hmm. but they weren't active in our space. And so we thought, well, this can be done by a Kiwi who knows what they're talking about and is keen to share. And so we went ahead and started that that very evening. It did well, slow growth initially, but I would say things really took off once we hit COVID and borders Mm. were closed. People weren't able to travel any longer. And we had quite a significant change in the rules of our group based around that. Mm. So initially we said we wanted genuine reviews from customers and travelers and we'd asked for operators not to be involved Mm -hmm. but when we saw the challenges that operators were facing because of COVID we said actually scrap the rules the most important thing at this point is to give operators a platform to be able to share their products and help Mm -hmm. get their name out there and organize direct bookings so we changed to that And then we had a bit of an about turn probably three or four months after that where we adapted our rules again. And those are the rules that we've continued with since. So operators are allowed to share their their offerings. Mm -hmm. However, they need to do it now in response to to one of our members' questions. So if someone says, I'm off to go to Rua, what do you recommend? Then our members are allowed to hop on and say, well, I've got an amazing Airbnb, come and stay with us. Yeah, okay, rather than just creating a post that's promoting themselves. You've got um, it, exactly. Yeah, so we, yeah. we think that's the nice balance between mm. allowing our operators a voice and a space to be able to promote the amazing things they're doing, but also having our space feel authentic and not too based on advertising. Yeah, yeah, no, and I've noticed those changes over the last couple of years as well, and I I tend to agree. I think that's worked really nicely for those internationals that are looking to come here, and obviously the operators can jump in and be very transparent about how they fit in with the businesses that they're promoting, but, yeah, it just gives that, that voice, I guess, back to the customer rather than an advertising platform, as you say, for the, for the operators. Absolutely. So. What are some of the big things that you've learned through this process? Oh my gosh, what haven't I learned? (laughs) I have learned that our community in general is incredibly generous with their knowledge. So we're very, very fortunate to have a lot of members who will share tips and suggestions and experience 
for no other reason but to share and to help others. So that's been absolutely amazing. I do think the feedback that we've received around the tone of our group is that there is a little bit of a difference with our group and some others. And I think that largely comes down to moderation in the early days and a really clear set of rules that we were able to enforce. Now, to be honest, we do, of course, keep an eye on moderation, but I think largely the group self-sustains the tone. Mm -hmm. And I think our, our members do a great job of showing what our space is all about. I have, I think, learned the importance of having a website and a Facebook community or social media in general that works hand in hand as an ecosystem. So for example, we within our Facebook group will direct people to our website to provide them with more information, but our website also connects people through to the Facebook group. So for example, if you might have come through Google and you might be reading a post on our New Zealand Travel Tips website about the best things to do in Wellington, there's then a link to say, come and join us in the Facebook group and ask specific questions to have those answered for you as well. So they work hand in hand together, which I think is a real bonus for both people in our group and coming through the website. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever get worried about all of the changes that are happening at Facebook? And I mean, we never know really what's around the corner with them and what changes they're going to make. And particularly when they must be looking at some of these groups that are run so successfully on the platform and whether they start monetizing that. Do you worry about what that might mean for your little business? Yeah, it's certainly a consideration. And I think I've been blogging long enough to have seen significant changes both in Facebook but particularly on Instagram so we have for example 50,000 followers on Instagram for exploring Kiwis but those were built in the days when Instagram looked very very different and so we saw exponential growth in the early days and then stalled and actually started dropping so that was a real wake-up call to me that actually unless you own your own platform there's only so much control you have over it. So for us, Facebook is an amazing blessing and it really is the backbone of what we do. But certainly to have the website in the background and to be chipping away at our organic growth, always keeping SEO in mind, doing what we can to build links, it's always there for us that actually we want to have the website really strong behind the scenes just in case something were to happen. Mm -hmm. But with that said, we hope Facebook will continue being kind to us yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's hoping so are you are you looking to grow your first party data like there's been a lot of discussion around cookies disappearing and mm. you, know, you don't have quite the same access to data that you've been able to get online so have you been looking to, at ways that you can improve or expand your email lists for example and the data that you own on your customers yeah that's a great question so we do with our Facebook group when people join they're asked a range of membership questions and one mm-hmm. of them allows them to provide us with an email address now when we first started the group I would manually copy those email addresses into an excel sheet but I signed up to an app called group leads so group leads is a reasonably low cost way of doing it and basically when I go and approve the members 
group leads will pull that information that they've entered automatically into a spreadsheet. Right, and then yep. that data can be pulled automatically into my email list from there. So it really automates that process. We also have email signups throughout the website. So we are always encouraging people to sign up. And we're really fortunate. So we work with Mediavine to pop advertising on both Exploring Auckland and the NZTT site. And Mediavine really clued up when it comes to the changes in the cookies. Mm-hmm. So they've added, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but a little addition called Grow. And that's designed to leverage the information that's shared across the different websites. And they've just recently opened that up. So it's not just for Mediavine users, but for mm-hmm anyone operating a website so that hopefully that information will be shared even further so yeah. it doesn't keep me up at night worrying yeah. about it but we certainly do what we can to, yeah. to try and grow our own list and we see of course Facebook as a direct opportunity to connect with our members as well so yeah definitely it certainly has its good points I mean there are times when we all have our little complaints about Facebook but I think overall when you look at communities like yours I think Mm. probably the positives outweigh the negatives a lot of the time so yeah yeah, it is good to have that so you talked a little bit about blogging and content I'm really keen to get into how important content is we've got a lot of operators that listen to us and I know there's a lot of discussion around the traps and it seems to change every few years as to whether we should be blogging or not be blogging and what what have you found what's your experience with that and what would you just say to operators out there about having a space for a blog and content on their website Absolutely. Well, I suppose, first of all, I would say, of course, I am a blogger, so I (laughs) would encourage everybody to blog, but we have certainly seen the benefits in doing so. Prior to my travel blog, I did actually used to have a little face painting business, Mm -hmm. and we saw the benefits of blogging through my face painting site. So that was actually how I got into it initially. But I would say for your operators, if they are able to add blog posts onto their website, they will potentially see a real increase in their organic search hits. Mm. Because basically, if they're writing for a range of keywords, for example, you might have an operator that's operating out of Tiano and they're answering questions for their customers about, well, doubtful sound or Milford sound. Well, Mm -hmm. if they're able to pop that into a blog post, then suddenly they're appealing to a bunch of people that are coming through Google that might not have thought to have searched for one of their tours or their activity but that lead comes through in a related but different way. Mm. And then suddenly they have the opportunity to convert. And they're also able to provide that information to their followers through social media. So again, it might be whilst you're in Tiano, let us share some information here. We've put it all on our blog post for you. So we've certainly seen the benefits. And of course, once you're adding more pages to your site through blog posts, it gives you more opportunities to interlink. And there's a lot of evidence to show that Google really loves sites that are interconnected and also linked to by other sites. Mm. And in my experience, other sites are sometimes hesitant to link to commercial operators, Mm -hmm. but they're generally quite happy to link to information rich posts that they know will help out their readers. So opportunities for linking all around with blog posts. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I can't speak highly enough of it. And they say that a really good blog post, ideally over a thousand words, but it doesn't take too, too long to crank out a thousand words. We normally aim for one and a half thousand, but we try and let the content do the talking because sometimes less is absolutely appropriate. Part of it depends, of course, on what 
other people are writing for on that first page of Google. But mm-hmm. we, we tend to put ourselves in the shoes of our readers and ask, well, how much information would they need? What do they need to know? And that's ideally what we try and provide them with. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. And what do you say to the operators who sit there and say, look, at the moment, I'm struggling to find staff to even sell tickets at the front door. I don't have time to blog. What Have you got any tips on how to make it easy for people? Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose... I mean, I'm keep in mind a person who has a full-time job alongside everything else I do. Mm. So I think if people have the interest, you can sit down in the evenings and pop a blog to post together over a few days, few nights while you're watching telly. So I don't think you necessarily have to be 100% dedicated to it and chip away at it slowly is what I tend to do. Another thing I would encourage though, is if you are looking to write blog posts, in my mind, you want to be maximizing the benefit that you do get from those posts. So really give you bang for buck. So I use a program called Key Search, which allows Mm -hmm. me to do research search into the different keywords and it gives me an indication number one of how many people are searching for that topic on Google so I can see if it's worth looking at and then number two it tells me what the competition is like so based Mm -hmm. on that I can establish whether my website is likely to rank for that if I write about it or not so certainly in the early days as we were building our domain authority we would target, target lower traffic but also lower competition keywords and hope Mm -hmm. that we could get lots and lots of little hits as opposed to going after the larger phrases. Mm -hmm. Now, because we've got so much breadth to what's on our site, we do go after some of the bigger keywords. But I I think being, being cognizant of what you're writing about is key. So that doesn't speed up the writing process for anybody, but it does ensure that what you write is hopefully seen and hopefully of use another thing I would really encourage people to do is think about niching down and becoming an expert in one particular area so Mm. for example if you are based in one part of the country to be writing about those activities in your area is really helpful in Google's eyes you probably wouldn't want to be writing about things to do in this town and places to eat in this town and, and casting the net too thin so Form yourself as an authority in Google's eyes, first of all, and then start to look at expanding off of that if you're enjoying the blogging. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that I've always given as advice is have a look at what some of those frequently asked questions are as well inside your Mm. own business, because it might just be that you don't have enough info on your product page. So you might like to create a blog about bringing a family to your attraction or what it's, you know, some of those tips for, yeah, rafting with a family and small children or visiting caves with your elderly parents or, you know, like whatever it might be and have some of that content as well. For sure. And I mean, we're really fortunate because we have access through our Facebook groups directly Mm -hmm. to our travel community. So we can hop in there and see what it is people are asking, what they're unsure about. And I find often, for example, I would be telling people about, well, look, this is where you need to head to get information about visas. So for me, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, at some point I need to write a blog post about visas, Mm, whether or not Google's telling me to, because I know we have a user need for that in our space. So although we do tend to write with Google in mind we are also still really mindful of what what our members and our users might need and there are times when we'll write blog posts that we know we have no hope of ranking for on Google because Mm. ultimately it's going to help the people coming to our site as well and I think that's along the lines of what you're talking about. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think the other thing for operators is it's not a case of having to build a blog and then you have to build an Instagram post and then you have Mm. to think about what to say on Facebook and all of those things. You can actually create one piece of content and use blocks of that in various ways, can't you? So it's not a whole lot of extra work for you. It's just repurposing the content that you've already got in different ways. Absolutely. And I think that content gives back if it's existing on your website. I think in my experience, having worked as a content creator and a blogger and partnering with companies in the past, I think sometimes companies get really caught up on the numbers they see on Instagram and a certain number of Instagram posts. But as someone who has had experience working across all of these different platforms, I personally feel the value is in being able to offer a blog post that will be picked up through Google and offer that ongoing traffic Mm. that's really, really targeted because if someone's searching for that particular topic, we know they have an intent. Whereas if I post a photo to my Instagram page, maybe they're interested in what I'm posting, but actually they probably aren't planning a trip to that part of the country. Mm. It's interesting as well how that unfolds. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So you are a blogger and I'm really keen. Again, one of the questions that we've asked a few times on the show is when we have influencers and bloggers and those types of requests coming through to our businesses, it's sometimes hard to determine the, I guess, the authentic and real influencers over the ones who've potentially purchased a whole lot of Instagram followers. So what advice have you got for operators in terms of how to choose an influencer to work with your business? Mm, That's a great question. And I did have a read on your website, Michelle, a little a little post about how to pick people. I think there was some Mm -hmm. great information in there. I would first and foremost look at the pitch that somebody sends through and I'd be looking for, is this a professionally worded pitch? First of all, are there any typos? Are there any spelling mistakes? (laughs) And I think most importantly, have they shared what they are able to offer us as a business, but also why our business appeals to them? So I, if I was an operator, wouldn't be looking to work with somebody who sent a copy and paste email to everybody in the same town with, with no significance to my business. But if an opera, if an influencer has taken the time to see what makes my business special, to talk about how that might be a fit for their audience, to me straight away, that's, that's a green light that I'd be interested to look at things. I would be looking at the engagement that they get within their social media. So we yeah. know that numbers can be really impressive, but as you say, it's easy enough to buy followers. I would also look at the demographics of where they're based. So for example, we have close to 50,000 followers still on Instagram for exploring Kiwis, but those people are from all around the world because we were Mm -hmm. abroad and traveling abroad when we created it. By comparison, we have about 5,000 followers on our NZTT Instagram and 35,000 members in our group, but those people are interested in what we're selling they're there Mm. for New Zealand 100% so although the numbers aren't as impressive we see a much better return on investment when we're helping to share same with our website as well as a general rule a focused website for example in our case around New Zealand is more likely to do well in Google than a website created by a blogger that travels all around the world and might put up half a dozen posts on New Zealand. Mm, as, right. as we talked about before, they, they won't be seen as an authority. So I think the key thing is, is really looking at those audiences and checking that they're aligned with what it is you're after. 
both in terms of location, age, and interests. Another thing, though, that I think is important is to consider what you can potentially get from them. And I like that in your blog post, you talked about making use of the content that's created for you. Mm -hmm. Now, some influencers won't be happy to hand over the rights to the content they've created, or some will charge a small fortune to do so, which at the end of the day, they do an amazing job creating the content. So that's, I think, to a point, absolutely fair. But many others will be happy to share it. So for example, we're not professional photographers. We pride ourselves on doing the best that we can, but we're not pros. And we are really happy to pass on rights. If we create a video or a photo, we're happy for those to be used by others. So I think your suggestion to say, look at what the influencer is bringing to the table and consider how you can potentially use that content to share on your website or with your own social media following is really Mm. fantastic advice. Yeah. Also, if you do work with someone, you get to the point where you feel great, they're right, the right fit, this is working for us. I would really encourage operators to share the content that's created. So the number of times, for example, that we've teed up a collaboration, we've been to work with somebody, we've created a blog post or content, we then send that through and we never hear back from them. Blows my mind, to be honest. Wow. You've got a captive audience who are interested in this particular activity. I'd be wanting to share that review as content to entice Hmm. those people again or to share with somebody else so I I think leveraging what's created for you as well it's not just about how far the influencer can spread the word but what you can do with it as well yeah definitely that surprises me because I think it's it's almost free content absolutely Absolutely. and then I guess a little bit off topic but the other thing I would consider is fair exchange of value so sometimes we'll see people for example talking about the fact that an influencer shouldn't be asking for a freebie and they should be paying for something. Now, Mm -hmm. I think on the surface, that's absolutely a fair thing to say, but that influencer or content creator is hopefully, if they're doing their job well, providing a service which has value as well. And if you invite, for example, a professional photographer in or a marketer in, then obviously there'd be a fee involved in that. So when we're working with a business, we're looking at what the value of their product is and what we're able to bring to the table. And we will always talk with the operator to understand what they hope to achieve Mm. through our collaboration. So sometimes it's brand awareness and sharing some pretty pictures on Instagram is perfect. Most of the time, though, a really targeted blog post to ensure that we're sharing that experience that reflects the type of customer they're wanting to see or that they work with, we feel is a better fit. Yeah, I think that's a really important comment that you just made there in terms of having the right target audience. So like there's a lot of influencers out there who have massive followers, but are their followers interested in your product? So that's almost the first thing, isn't it? To say like it's well and all well and good to invite them. And I mean, I know we've hosted or over my career, we've hosted some fairly famous people mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just been more of a kick for the team to meet those people than it has been to to share that because most of those have been more or haven't been so much influencers wanting to share content but we've just been happy to host them because yeah as I said the team gets a bit of a kick out of it and it sort of gives everybody a bit of a buzz to meet someone that's a little bit famous but if you're trying or you're looking to do a partnership with an influencer and it is an exchange of Mm. product for content, well then, yeah, is that audience that they're sharing it with going to resonate 
with your product or not so I think that's sort of yeah something quite important to look at Mm. now back to New Zealand travel tips I know that you've looked now at creating a preferred operator kind of platform on there do you want to share a little bit of that with our listeners because there may be some businesses who haven't engaged with you yet that might be interested in doing that yeah I would be delighted to so this came about Probably six months or so into our operation, we had some operators that we became really friendly with and did some great work. We did some giveaways with, went on for mills to check them out and developed really nice relationships. And they came to us and they said, look, Sarah, we really appreciate what you're doing. We'd like to give you a commission for these sales. And we'd like to give a discount to your members because this is ultimately allowing us a direct way to market to people and there's a value in that and we, we really appreciate what's happening in the group so from that we did create our preferred operator system and basically what we do is we work with operators that we know hand on heart will deliver a world-class experience to our members I know I talk about members but our readers as well because we bring people both through the Facebook group and through the website so the people who are reading and visiting NZTT we want them to have amazing experiences Our preferred operators are people that will deliver that for them. And what we will do is we'll check as requests come through our group. And if someone says, for example, I'm heading off to Auckland, or we work, for example, with EcoZip over on Waikiki Islands, we might Mm -hmm. say, well, while you're visiting Auckland, hop on board the ferry, head on out to EcoZip. Gavin and the team there will show you an awesome time. It's right on Auckland's doorsteps. This is what we love about them. And they've very kindly offered us a discount to pass on to you as our member. So it's a really nice sense of community within our Mm. space where our our members enjoy discounts from the operators. And we have a lot of those operators who will come in and share their stories as well. Now, there's no cost to be loaded up onto the website. So we give all of our preferred operators their own uh, highlight page, which will link in and out of different blog posts. And we then just take a commission, which is reduced to offset the discount we pass to our customers when a booking is confirmed and taken. And we really pride ourselves on working with the systems that the operators have in place so Mm -hmm. we don't take any funds ourselves we believe we're first and foremost here to support our community and operators and we believe that money should be sitting in the pockets of the operators they're the ones doing all of the hard work Mm -hmm. so they take those funds and then once that tour or attraction has been used then at that point that commission's paid back to us and it Mm -hmm. seems to work really really well we've got lots of very happy operators we refer it's been a little while since I've checked, but I think we would be referring over $50,000 of sales each month with our different operators, which we're really proud to be. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, very cool. Well, what I might do for the listeners who are keen to perhaps have a chat with you is put your contact details and the information inside the episode notes. So if you are listening, just go back to those and you can click on there and get in touch with Sarah. But look, that wraps up all of the questions that I've got today. And thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on the success that you've had with New Zealand Travel Tips and the other one. I see you've now got Australian Travel Tips and South Pacific. So um, what a few. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) So well done and good luck keeping those communities under control. (laughs) Thank you. I must admit, I, I do need to say we're very fortunate to have amazing members in our community. So I think sometimes I get the kudos, but it, yep. it really is a team effort. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, all the best. Thanks, Sarah. We'll talk to you soon. Fantastic. Thanks, Michelle. Kakite. Kakite.